Well, it's a warm welcome to all of our listeners back to the Emerging Cricket Podcast after a week's break with Bez buried in uh, in work at the ICC Women's T20 World Cup and Tim jet-setting between Australia and Vanuatu and, and very busy as always promoting cricket in the Pacific. So I'm joined today by Emerging Cricket contributor Tom Grunshaw. Welcome, Tom. Evening, Nick. Thanks for having me on again. Always a pleasure to catch up and, of course, having the same time zone is uh, is very helpful on on this end. Um, we've got a lot of cricket going on this week, so I'll start with the Tri-Series, the Cricket World Cup League 2, hosted in Nepal. Uh, this was round 19. Uh, it was originally scheduled for, well, quite a while ago, but um, we all know what happened in the intervening couple of years. So Namibia and Scotland toured Nepal between the 14th and the 21st of February, and it was a clean sweep for Nepal. They won all four of their games. The first match, they won against Namibia by two wickets uh, with a couple of overs to spare. They chased down 285 uh, from Namibia. Michael van Lingen scored a century for Namibia, but uh, Kushal Bertel scored a ton for Nepal and got them home. Uh, The second match... Namibia lost to Scotland comprehensively. Scotland chased down the target of 153 uh, inside 23 overs. George Munsey scored a ton. Uh, They didn't lose a wicket. Uh, Scotland were then undone by Nepal uh, in another thriller, which Nepal won by three wickets. Dependra Singh Iri top scored in that match uh, with 85 not out after Michael Leask blasted 100 in uh, double-quick time. For Scotland to take them to 274. Nepal just over the line with three overs and three wickets to spare, of course. Namibia then posted 274 and managed to lose again. Zane Green, who was in good form this series, uh, top scored with 75 not out, before Asif Sheikh uh, led the way for Nepal and they got over the line with three wickets uh, and two and a half overs to spare. Uh, Scotland did for Namibia again. In the fifth match, uh, they posted 221, which Namibia were unable to chase down, being bowled out for 178. Ruben Trumpelman took five wickets uh, to castle Scotland's sort of a lower middle order, but um, it wasn't good enough. Mark Watts, four for 41, did the trick for Scotland uh, as the Namibians were bowled out in the 39th over. And then in the last match, it was another thriller for Nepal, more of a traditional Nepali scrappy victory where they bowled out Scotland for 212 and they looked dead and buried at 7 for 114 and 8 for 138. But uh, (laughs) Karan KC, that man who's been involved in so many partnerships down the order, uh, and uh, he joined with Rohit Padel, who scored 95 not out and got them home uh, in the 45th over with two wickets to spare. So, yes, an exciting series. Uh, A lot of very entertaining cricket. Uh, Nepal being Nepal, after a lot of turmoil and uh, controversy, they have turned around and I think this might be the only clean sweep so far of uh, Cricket World Cup League 2 Tri-Series. So that's an impressive uh, achievement and they're going to need it because uh, looking ahead, they still need to win, I think it's about six out of eight matches coming up uh, for them to automatically qualify for the World Cup qualifiers. Uh, Meanwhile, Scotland with their two victories against Namibia, did enough to guarantee top spot in the Cricket World Cup League 2 ladder. Uh, and Namibia, by losing all four matches, uh, have now put in jeopardy a, a pretty decent position at that third spot uh, and automatic qualification 
to the qualifier. Uh, so uh, Oman now are unassailable in second place as well, uh, which means that Namibia, uh, UAE, Nepal are all competing over that third slot to make it automatically to the Cricket World Cup qualifier. Now, Nepal, probably the big story before this series started was Sandeep Lamachani being included in the squad while awaiting trial for rape allegations. Um, That's, yeah, maybe not a good look for Can, but the contributions from uh, from both Lamachani with the ball and the rest of the team uh, certainly were impressive. Uh, And, I mean, new head coach Monty Desai will be pretty happy with their first outing. Yeah, there's a start by addressing the elephant in the room, I think, Sandeep. It's a, a controversial issue, uh, to say the least. Yeah, um, we, we need to be quite cautious about, you know, talk, talking about the legal aspects of this. But um, uh, Lamachani was uh, released on bail fairly recently and almost immediately had his suspension by Khan lifted. Uh, obviously, there's, there's nothing stopping them from li- lifting the suspension. Uh, and they, they, they moved him back into the side. And yeah, he was... Um, one of a few star performers for Nepal in the, in the last week, and they, they've picked up four wins and rather turned their World Cup League Two campaign around. Um, so the the fallout from this, you know, certainly um, with the allegations hanging over him, given that he's about to face trial, uh, does sort of leave a sour taste in the mouth on what was otherwise a very good week for Nepal. But um, e- even taking... Sandeep out of this. It, it was a very impressive series from them. Well, the the most impressive thing for me was the fact that their batting really stood up. And, you know, a number of times, uh, as I sort of referred to the the last game where they were sort of scraped over the line after collapsing, chasing a, a moderate total, that's a lot more of a typical Nepal victory. And whereas the first three, uh, yes, they were close in terms of um, they, they were sort of seven, eight wickets down, but that was a kind of more of a more of a late wobble in in those three cases than necessarily uh, you know a top order collapse. You know they had guys sticking around. Kushal Bertel was very very good. Uh, he scored a ton obviously in that first match. Um, some absolutely amazing you know power hitting, but also had a lot of maturity as there was kind of a middle order wobble and and he had the patience to sort of see off tight spells from Namibia, uh, which. Again, that's something that they've, they've struggled with at times is, you know, trying to break the shackles and, and trying to hit out when they get stuck. So that was a, a very, an impressively mature knock from Kushal Bertel. Uh, the captain, you know, only 20 years old, Rohit Padel, you know, 95 not out in that last game to, to get them home. And also 70-odd uh, in the first match against Namibia where he really came out and, and sort of grabbed the, the match by the scruff of the neck. He, you know, he, a lot of momentum through the middle order as well, coming from Podell. So, yeah, he was impressive. Bertel was impressive. Uh, Ganendra Mala was contributing again, which he's had quite a dry spell. Asif Sheikh made a contribution. Uh, Dependra Singh Iri, Kushal Mala also, 18 years old, uh, scored a couple of half centuries in there. Uh, so, yeah, if they can keep going like this, you know, their batting has looked very fragile for a number of years. But, I don't know, d- does Monty Desai just give them a fair bit of rope and, and let them have a long run in the team rather than chopping and changing because that's something we've seen a lot is is guys will do well for one series and then they'll chop and change and then they'll be on the outer and then they'll come back in for a match or two and, and there's there's never any consistency. So this is something to watch over the next, um, yeah, eight matches that, that Nepal have, how consistent 
do they just go with the winning team now? Obviously, that's easy because they've been winning. But if they lose a couple of matches and they, they start looking like they're desperate for points, do they go to panic stations? But yeah, Podell just looked in incredible form. I, I remember one of the ramp cuts he played against Piki France was, uh, in my opinion, the, the shot of the tournament. Just had so much time and ability to sort of follow the ball and, and just put it wherever he wanted. Uh, he, he looks a top quality batter. Um yeah, the Sandeep issue, he did bowl very, very well. And so it'll be crucial to see how they go uh, potentially without him. The question is, because he had to submit his passport as part of his bail conditions, uh, will Sandeep even travel to their away series in the UAE? Um, the pace stocks looked pretty threadbare. Um, Karen KC and Sompao Kami both um, contributed a lot with the bat. But yes... Karan took a five for in that first game against Namibia, but he was expensive, and you know that was mostly just the Namibians hitting out towards the end. I, uh, you know, Michael Van Lingen just walked down the track to Kami and flicked him for six over the leg side, and that kind of summed up where their seam bowling is. Really, there's there's just not very much penetration. Their spin bowling stocks are decent, even aside from Sandeep, but you know without him. Their bowling attack looks looks pretty flimsy, and their batting is going to have a lot of pressure on it if he doesn't travel to the UAE. Yeah, uh, and we'll look uh, ahead to the UAE series in, in, in a few moments' time. But yeah, I think there's definitely an element of a, a new coach bounce going on under Monty Desai, and certainly for the first time uh, in in the amount of time that I've been following associate cricket, there seems to be some consistency in the polls team selection how long that lasts given that um we we feel that can often interferes in, in the selection process will remain to be seen as you say a, a couple of defeats and it could be all, all chopping and changing you know ad finitum as has been the case over the past couple of years but for for now certainly the batting unit looks very settled um uh, yes the bowling unit has um some challenges sandeep was the the, the top wicket taker in three games out of four um, Karen KC took a five from the first game, but after that, it was very much Sandeep show with the ball. So where they go from here uh, will be very interesting. And of course, um, it, it, it almost goes without saying, but the, the trial, Sandeep's trial is coming up shortly. And un- until such a time, it's very difficult to say what's going to happen in the near future. Yeah. And um, yeah, as we say, Nepal need... Yeah, that'll be something to keep an eye on uh, going forward. Six out um, of it, yeah. Namibia, though, they were quite disappointing. You know, they they posted 270-plus in a couple of games. They were in a good position to win against Scotland. They were uh, 2 for 112 in, in the 22nd over. Then, uh, unfortunately, Lawrence and Erasmus both got out in, in quick succession and they couldn't recover. So, yeah, pretty frustrating tour, I think you would say, if, you, if you're in the Namibian camp. Uh, Andrew Leonard... Over in Nepal, who who was commentating, uh, which was which was great value, of course, uh, hearing Lenny plugging those uh, KFC crowd catches. Um, but uh, yeah, he reckons the Namibians looked a bit sort of mentally checked out, um, which which does make sense because you know the components are there, and and we we saw that they have it. Obviously, Erasmus's class, uh, Van Lingen, uh, scored a great ton in the first match. Uh, he was missing in the last game due to some. Uh, uh, it seems like the local food got the better of his stomach. Um, but yeah, there's just there's a lot of questions around kind of what they do when obviously it doesn't help that three bowlers were missing, so they looked a bit threadbare. You know, Jan Freilink was injured. Uh, JJ Smith missed the tour. 
due to a knee issue, that recurring knee problem. And uh, uh, David Visa, of course, was was missing due to franchise commitments. So, you know, if you, you, you knock out the top three bowlers of any bowling lineup, they're going to look a bit threadbare. But, um, yeah, where do the wickets come from? Lungamani was was tidy, but, you know, not incisive enough, I would say. Uh, ben Shikongo, I like Shikongo as a bowler. I, I like what he does, sort of, um, you know, pitches it up, gets a little bit of nibble through the air. But he just he's just lacking a, a sort of a yard of pace. Uh, he's around the same speed as JJ Smith, but JJ Smith has that kind of awkward left arm angle, and he bangs it in slightly shorter, so he gets that slightly awkward, um, you know, back of a length uh, jamming up the, the the batter. Whereas Shikongo, if he can't get the ball to do anything, it's it's very hittable, especially if he if he tries the bouncer, or you know, he dropped short a few times and just got absolutely pumped. So either develop a little bit of extra zip to, to sort of shock the batter or um, I, th- I think he needs to maybe put the put the bouncer away for now. Um, but yeah, I guess the, the biggest issue for Namibia was that the spinners weren't really capitalizing. Holtz was okay, uh, but he was outbowled by Watt and Sandeep in, in both their matches and the, then kind of the support cast of uh, Jan-Nicole Lofty-Eaton, Piki France and, and Gerrit Erasmus just... You know they weren't quite doing the job, and and that's where, you know, looking to someone like Zhivago Hunewald, and he hasn't played obviously since around the start of this uh, league too. Uh, he retired from international duties uh, due to injury issues, but he did bowl in last year's uh, domestic Richelieu competition that Namibia runs. So potentially there's some hope for him, and you know he was another quality left arm spinner that that just adds something to that. Uh, that lineup and yeah I, I I don't know hopefully as we look towards the qualifier maybe they can scrape over the line and, and they'll have JJ back and they'll have Visa back and they'll have Freilink back but in these uh, two matches that they've got upcoming in the UAE uh, which you know we can get to in a second yeah I, I don't really see where the wickets are coming from but the, you know there were some positive signs yeah it's it's Hard to say quite where it's gone so badly wrong for Namibia in the last week because, uh, well, they had two games where they had two 70-plus totals. And, okay, the TU ground does change a lot depending on the time of year and and, and the sort of conditions, but you'd have thought 285, certainly in that first game, was a a defendable score and they just never had anything really to to stop uh, the Nepali batters. And then, yeah, uh, they had two very poor batting performances against Scotland for, for sure. But it's not like there was only you know one or two batters standing up. Van Lingen had that that um, 133 in the first game, and there was Lawrence making contributions, and, and Zane Green had a, a very fast 75 in the in, in in the in the fourth game. So the the batting didn't seem to be a problem, but they never seemed to have any or, or enough runs to sort of challenge the opposition. Uh, and then, as you say, yeah, they're, they're, they're missing a couple of bowlers. They're not at full strength by any means. But um, sort of the way that Scotland put them away in the, in, in the second game, they chased 150-odd in 20 overs, and George Munsey scored a 60-ball ton. It was it was quite surprising, really. I'm, I'm, I'm used to seeing better than that from them. Yeah, and uh, I, I mean, just on the batting side of things, a couple of questions. I, I'm sort of not convinced about Carl Birkenstock. Um, he just looks... Pretty average, to be honest. I, I do like Van Lingen coming in at three. I think that position suits him. But then if that means that you know he can't open and they need Birkenstock at the top of the order, uh, yeah, I'm not convinced. Um, maybe worth experimenting uh, with with going back to <laughs> back to the future with uh, Picky Yarfrance opening. Um, way back in the day, he he sort of started his career 
as a very sort of stodgy um, uh, opening bat in the first class format for Namibia. Uh, he, he sort of accrued the nickname of the associate Chris Tavare, but as as we've discussed in the past, you know, he's really opened up his batting, um, and I really enjoy seeing him bat down the order. He scored a good forty odd to to dig them out of trouble in in one of those games. You know, he's very busy. Uh, he can clear the rope down the ground. Um, yeah, I, I think he's good down the order, but, you know, potentially having at the him, having him at the top as a kind of steady presence uh, to go along with, with Lawrence. Uh, Lawrence was very good, and Lawrence is one who's been kind of underperforming to his potential uh, for the last sort of year or two, and so hopefully this is him settling into his role at the top. Um, you know, he was kind of out of the team for, for a little while, uh, for, yeah, maybe a year or two, um, sort of mysteriously out of the team. Uh, we're not really sure what happened there. Uh, but you know, now he seems to be back in the side and um, he's a good option at the top. And, and you know, just seeing him be a bit more consistent was encouraging. Um, and Green, yeah, Green is probably best known for having a dismal time at the World Cup in 2021. Having him coming down the order and, and sweeping really effectively and, and kind of, yeah, really sort of settling into that finisher role. I think that's that's been very encouraging for Namibia. Um, whereas Jan Okolov de Eaton in the middle order, who who sort of seemed to be settling into his work there, uh, looked just a bit hyperactive, both with the ball and with the bat. Um, you know, he, he was on a hat-trick. He sort of, uh, in one of those games against Nepal, he looked like he was going to maybe bring them back from the brink, um, but he also got whacked around a bit. Um, which is kind of, you know, he's, he's a bit of a mixed bag with his leg spin, but his batting, yeah, he just looked like a, a bit too fidgety at the crease, which he sort of always is, but uh, he, he's at his best when he calms down a little bit. And then, yeah, so the, the third team here this week were, were Scotland. Uh, Scotland uh, took two wins both times against Namibia and both games against Nepal and ended in defeat. That was enough for them to uh, wrap up the, the, the League 2 title. They finished on, I think it was 50 points from 36 games. So they're a good distance ahead of the rest of the pack. And I mean, I think you, you look at them over the past four years and you can sort of see why they've got a, a fairly old team, but they've been very consistent in their selection. And they just seem to have had tools um, to use wherever they've been. I think they've had a neutral or a winning record against every other team in the competition. So it, it's not really a surprise that they've they, they've won the whole thing. But I think they'll be a little bit disappointed with the way they've gone this week. Um, certainly the two defeats to Nepal, they had them, I think, five down for not very many in both games and sort of let Nepal a little bit off the hook with the ball. So I think they'll, they will be a little bit disappointed that they, perhaps they didn't wrap up one of those games. Yeah, especially that second game where <laughs> Nepal were, yeah, 8 for 130 odd. You know, realistically, you should be winning games when you have a team in that position. But yeah, pretty, I mean, yeah, they, they did enough. They ended on 24 wins and 10 losses uh, with, with two no results uh, to, to top the table. Uh, Oman, second behind them with 21 wins, 13 losses, uh, one no result and a tie. So yeah, Scotland comfortably better than the second best team. I think that first match against Namibia, George Munzee's ton was just an absolute clinic. Um, you know, he's hitting switch hits for six and perfectly timed cover drives to the boundary. Uh, Leesk also got stuck in to the Nepali bowlers with with a with a great ton as well. So, uh, you know, they've got quality with the bat. They do have some interesting questions around team composition, I would say, even though obviously they don't need to worry about it until the qualifiers actually start. You know, Matt Cross... 
looked pretty out of form. Uh, so do they give McIntosh, Tom McIntosh, the gloves? I haven't seen McIntosh keep. Uh, Cross is a very good keeper, so potentially they'll they'll just keep him in for his glove work. Liam Naylor uh, made his debut in the second last match uh, against Nepal, where yeah he he looked quite good, showed a bit. Uh, didn't look out of his depth at this level. Uh, Tom McIntosh, as as we said. Uh, made his debut. Jack Jarvis also played his first senior match for Scotland. So that's kind of the next generation of batting coming through. And and you know obviously we've we've seen uh, the the some of the senior guys. Um, Callum McLeod retired uh, in the middle of the league two, and Kyle Kotzer, much as <laughs> much as we all like Costa, I think it's clear that he's uh, you know winding down his career. So, yeah, there'll be some compositional questions, but I think the bigger question is more the fast bowling. You know, obviously with the ball, Mark Watt was, he moved up from being miserly as he usually is to just completely unplayable. Some of those, um, you know, his arm balls and he was like ripping it off the pitch in a pretty high scoring series. And he was, yeah, basically unplayable. Uh, so, yeah, fantastic outing for what joint top wicket taker for the series alongside uh, Lamachane. Um, but, yeah, with the fast bowling, just a bit samey, kind of all right arm, not very fast, not really doing a whole lot. And, and most of the fast bowlers didn't look too threatening. Yeah. Um, uh, and just to, to take it back to Munzee uh, very quickly, that was his first ODI ton, which was came as a surprise to me, the, the amount yeah. of damage he's done to... Uh, other teams in, in, in the past few years. Um, for that to have been his first ODI term was certainly a shock, but I guess he's been batting down the order um, at five or six for, for a lot of that and has been promoted to the top quite recently. But yeah, to score 103 out of 157 and off of 61 balls was was a really, really impressive feat. Um, but then, yeah, as you say, they've got, they've got a few retirements and they've got to bring in a, a few new players. And then we, we've, mentioned Macintosh and Ayler and McBride they they've uh well Macintosh and McBride certainly have come through the the under 19 setup I'm not entirely sure about Naylor uh and the other one that they've got coming through is um Michael Jones um he and he and Naylor are both playing county cricket at Durham so they're actually under Ryan Campbell's watchful eye for the coming season um so yeah the development of those four players they will certainly look like the next generation of, of Scottish batting so it'll be interesting to see how they go and then on the bowling yeah um so um Scotland have struggled to get Davian Wheel available for tours even even in the winter um they, they only seem to uh, arrive for, for the bigger events but e- e- even with them in as, as you say they have got lots of right arm medium options and no real point of difference uh i think they were probably a, a, a another wicket taking bowler away from you know four nilling this week but um yeah just not quite having the the bowling options to to run through sides but but nevertheless they're, they're still they're still strong and it wasn't just you know what um spinning teams into the ground because um michael Lee's had a good week as well i think he mm. took uh, nine or ten wickets. Yeah, very impressive with his off spin. Yeah, yeah. Um, not so much from Greaves or Hamza to here though. They're, those being their their other spin bowling options, but they were a little bit less effective, certainly in terms of their returns. Uh, I know one of those games, like Hamza to here bowled one over, went for ten or twelve or something like that, yeah. and uh, was taken off for the rest of the game. Um, a slightly strange um, selection policy, but you know, nevertheless. So yeah, I think they were just that that little bit 
extra with the ball from from having a very very good week. Yeah, Tahir, I'm, I'm not sure what that was about. He bowled three overs in the win against Namibia, sort of yeah, none for 15, and then bowled one over against Nepal, none for 11. Got yanked. That was all he did. Thanks for coming. I don't know. Yeah, Reeves is a strange one. I haven't. He, he he hit some quick runs down the order a couple of times with the bat, but yeah, his bowling kind of expensive was not that uh, penetrative. I mean, yes, we all remember he he <laughs> he played that amazing game against Bangladesh a couple of years ago at the World Cup. Uh, he hit a half century against Namibia a year or so ago. Um, but yeah, aside from that, I can't really remember any sort of notable notable performances on his part. So. You know, how long do they persist with Greaves? Uh, do they look for other options with the ball? Obviously, they want the the leg spin as, as a bit of a, a point of difference. Um, you know, having two left-arm spinners in, in Hamza Tahir and, and Mark Watt. But then, you know, they're both quite different bowlers. Uh, so, yeah, it was just a bit strange that Tahir didn't, didn't bowl much and you know, Greaves was playing uh, all four matches and, and bowling a fair bit more and... Yeah, I'm not sure what that was about. But um, yeah, overall, I, I think you're right that if they had just a one sort of a, a spearhead, like a Ruben Trumpelman for Namibia, you know, add Ruben Trumpelman to this Scottish attack and, and I think suddenly they're a lot more threatening. But yeah, will Davian Wheel be available for the qualifiers or will Davian Wheel even make that much difference? Uh, uh, again, you know, right arm seam, kind of samey, samey. Uh, that's that's kind of the question as well. But yes, that's that's a that's a problem for uh, another day. And as as we discussed, uh, Scotland have won Cricket World Cup League Two, and Will Glenwright actually dropped in uh, to Nepal for the trophy presentation, uh, which was which was a nice touch. Although quite possibly, uh, it sort of looked like it was <laughs> a bit of a last minute organisation from the ICC as as always. But he had an interesting discussion with uh, with Lenny Andrew Leonard on. On comms, uh, and I guess the the main new information that we got out of that uh, that conversation was the confirmation of the Netherlands dropping back into League Two or you know whatever League Two becomes uh, in the next cycle, uh, which is disappointing for them because you know having all these matches against uh, high quality opposition, we've seen how much the Netherlands have improved. Um, so, sort of cutting off that opportunity for them is 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 disappointing. But yeah, I mean, with the Super League gone, what do you expect? Um, yes, uh, not anything that we hadn't really assumed before. We'll have a we imagine an eight team structure for the next four years coming, um, and a, a a fairly smart glass trophy for for Scotland to take home. Uh, but not nothing particularly nothing particularly fancy. Yes, and and just on you know the trophy and and the sort of winning the competition contrast the fairly understated uh, you know celebrations that Scotland had here compared to <laughs> the Netherlands being you know going absolutely crazy when they qualified for the Super League because they knew that makes so much of a difference. Whereas winning League Two without that Super League carrot, uh, which which was there at the start of League Two uh, until they you know, yeah, scrapped it halfway through. Yes, um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you you could you could see that really, it doesn't matter that they won or if they came third, whatever. As long as they're into the qualifiers, that's you know next job, try to qualify for the World Cup, and and that seems to be the attitude from Scotland. And you know they're in with a pretty good shot, I would say. 
yeah, we'll we'll see how it comes in, in Zimbabwe in June. But uh, yeah, for, for for the time being, that's uh, not a lot to be celebrated. They kind of did the job last time out in Namibia in I think November. So yeah, a little bit of a, an underwhelming finish for Scotland. But there's still 14 matches to go in League Two, and there's still quite a bit to play for. Um, so starting this week, I think we've got two games. Thursday and Saturday. So by the time this this uh, reaches the listeners, they may already be over. Uh, UAE playing catch up games against Namibia, uh, and the, these first two, the, the, the these two head to heads, are going to be of particular importance to the, the third place race and getting that last place or that last direct place in the World Cup qualifier. Uh, yes, just looking at the points table, we have uh, Namibia on 34 matches, uh, 37 points, and we have the UAE on 26 matches and 27 points. So both pretty pretty similar there. Uh, the UAE have, of course, uh, 10 matches to go. So they've, they've, they're featuring in these catch-up games and then the next two tri-series. And you know, to leapfrog Namibia, they they don't have to do a whole lot, and yeah, obviously these uh these head-to-head games will be will be crucial on that front. Yeah, so I've I've run uh, run a bit of a quick maths on on a notepad here. Um, so if N- Namibia need if they win this series two nil, um, UAE need to win all of their remaining games to get top three. So a two nil win for Namibia should be enough in theory. If UAE UAE take it two nil, uh, UAE will just need four more wins from their remaining eight games to surpass Namibia so you can see these two matches coming up are really important to the sort of outcome and and the stakes for the final two tri-series meanwhile Nepal need to win as we said six out of eight of their remaining games and I mean of course PNG uh with with eight matches uh only five points you know they're, they're guaranteed the wooden spoon but the, the question uh, around that is, you know, can they play spoiler and will they beat someone who is in the race? And then, you know, say Nepal, who are counting on getting uh, all those points against PNG, you know, PNG can pull up an upset uh, or two. That could really throw a spanner in the works for the calculations as well. Yeah, that's certainly something to be watched um, in, the, in the coming week or two. And I think you can roll back as well about a year because the same three teams met in the UAE uh, March last year, where PNG took a game off the UAE in a little bit of a surprise. The UAE won every other game in that tri-series, but those drop points, you know, should it happen again, could be really detrimental. So yeah, PNG have definitely got a role to play in, in the next week, even if they have nothing to gain themselves. Yes. Yeah, so as we said, uh, those catch-up games uh, from the Namibian home series that was that was cancelled when Omicron came through, uh, they're being played on the 23rd and 25th of February, and then immediately following that, the tri-series with UAE hosting Nepal and PNG, uh, that will be played between the 27th and the 6th of March. Uh, all of these matches, of course, will be on ICC TV, and happily, uh, I, I didn't notice... ICC TV crashing once uh, during the Nepal series, so hopefully this uh, <laughs> this run continues for ICC TV. Um, but uh, yes, tune in, and uh, I'm sure some very exciting cricket. Uh, elsewhere in the UAE, though, just quickly skipping over the bilateral series with UAE and Afghanistan, it went 2-1 to Afghanistan. A good fight from the UAE. Uh, they thrashed Afghanistan, really, in the second match, uh, one by nine wickets with a couple of overs to spare. Mohammad Wazim, star of the show, following up his his International League T20 form. 
He hit a couple of half centuries, and uh, including in the victory where he hit 91 to get the UAE home. Uh, so impressive performance from the UAE, beating a top 10 team, which is, I believe, one of the full membership uh, sort of uh, boxes that they need to tick off. Uh, so that's also something to keep an eye on. Uh, but yeah, we, we all knew that uh, Aravind and, and Wazim and, and the UAE are, a, are an exciting team. Uh, so this just uh, confirming it with, with, a, with a hard-fought victory over a, a full member. Yeah, it was a quite, a quite a competitive series and you can sort of see Mohamed Wazim being a real star of the, the, the UAE team going forward. He smashed 90 off not very many to, to sort of take him home in that second game and then went very hard again. He and Fritja Aravind uh, in the third game and they got to 120 nine without loss before it all sort of crumbled away from them uh and uh afghanistan fought back to to chase down the total but yeah they were they were very competitive certainly in in that second and that third game uh and it it just sort of follows up from the last 12 months they've had really where they've looked a very complete t20 team at this level uh they picked up that first win in, in a t20 world cup as well as winning the qualifier along the way so yeah very very positive signs and uh, Rohan Mustafa back in the team, of course. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm not sure why he was missing from their World Cup campaign, but he seems to be back in the plans, which is nice to see. Now, some more cricket that is uh, going to be available to watch on ICC TV is the upcoming Men's Americas Qualifier. Uh, this is part of the qualification structure for the T20 World Cup uh, next year in 2024. Uh, it's being played in Buenos Aires in Argentina between the 25th of February and the 4th of March. Uh, it's a round-robin format featuring six teams. Argentina, Bahamas, Belize, Bermuda, Cayman Islands and Panama. The top three teams will continue to the regional final in Bermuda uh, where they'll join Canada, who've already um, uh, sort of been, been seeded into the final by virtue of making it to the global qualifiers. Uh, originally, there was supposed to be eight teams, but Brazil and Suriname have withdrawn. Uh, disappointing, uh, especially for Brazil, because the, you know their men's program sort of has been kind of trying to play catch up to, to the women's success. Um, Suriname, <laughs> I don't know. There, there's always a cloud over Suriname and and some questions around uh, eligibility scandals of the past. Um, so I don't know if that has anything to do with the reason for their withdrawal, but uh, sort of not surprised in a way that, that Suriname pulled out. But, you know, looking a bit more broadly, it's interesting that only nine of the 17 eligible uh, regional members uh, for the Americas are turning out in this qualifier. Um, so... Not sure what the story is there, uh, but uh, yeah, Bermuda, you would think, are strong favourites, and then behind them, kind of an open field, really, looking at the last qualifier in 2021. Yeah, um, certainly the on, on the on the turnout, it's, it is quite surprising. Uh, as you say, 9 out of 17 is only a little bit over half, whereas if you compare that to Europe or the EAP, uh, where every ICC member has been playing in the qualification for the next T20 World Cup, uh, yeah, it is quite surprising, and it, it, it's strange to see that so few are taking part. But it, it, that just seems to be th- the way it is. Yeah, I, Bermuda certainly you, you'd have to have as number one um, out, out of these six. Uh, they've been obviously the historically the strongest uh, of these. Obviously, Canada are have a buy into the regional final, and the USA have qualified as hosts. 
So you would expect them. They've also got uh, Delray Rawlins back in the squad. He's taken over the captaincy from Kamal Levrock. He'd uh, skipped the Challenge League series in, in 2022, but he seems to be back in the side now. Uh, and that, that will certainly give them a boost. And then I think the other perhaps uh, interesting bit of squad news here is that Alessandro Ferguson is into his 30th year of international cricket, which is really just a very impressive tale. Yes, the uh, the Cecil Rhodes of uh, of Argentina. Um, I I don't I mean this guy's been a fixture of the associate world for as long as I can remember following it, and it turns out he'd been playing for a decade before I even was aware of associate cricket. So yeah, he he, he played his first uh, senior match for Argentina in the 1994 ICC Trophy, uh, which was the forerunner of the um, ICC World Cup qualifier. Um, he played alongside his father actually in his in his debut match, so you know that's a nice uh, nice bit of history. Um, I think he was sort of 15 or so. Now he's in his mid 40s. Um, uh, yeah, his match there was against the UAE. Um, it's been a long time since Argentina has been anywhere near the UAE in in terms of their cricket. Uh, so that's kind of uh, I, I guess and just an interesting little uh, window into. Uh, yeah, Argentina have sort of fallen by the wayside as as international associate cricket has moved on, and and uh, Alejandro Ferguson's career is is kind of reflects that. Um, but yeah, congratulations to him, uh, you know, still making the team, and um, you know, may he continue uh, for many more years. He's still got a while to go before he beats James Moses' record for Botswana, who I think was fifty five when he played a, a T Twenty international last time for Botswana. So you know, if if Ferguson can keep going for another ten years, he'll be he'll be in with a a chance there. Jimmy Anderson's got uh, got got nothing on this. <laughs> this is yeah, uh, it's seriously impressive stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, it should be pretty entertaining. Um, obviously, Bermuda, you would expect to win all the games, but um, behind them, yeah, some 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 tight cricket. I would I would imagine. Yeah, but Bermuda, I think I think Argentina were next behind Bermuda last time out, and then you've got the Cayman Islands slotting back in. I think they missed the last one. It was twenty twenty one. It was still you know COVID. Um, so I think they've been historically quite strong. So it'll be interesting to see where they they slot back into this mix. But yeah, I think Bermuda definitely out in front, and then you 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 could make a case for most of them really. And then we've got one more qualifier taking place as well, which is the Under-19s Asia Division 1 for the 2024 Men's Under-19 World Cup. So that too is 24th of February to the 2nd of March, and it's also taking place in the UAE. Uh, Again, six teams participating in this one. So UAE as hosts, Hong Kong, Kuwait, Malaysia, Nepal, and Singapore. Uh, UAE, back in the the qualifiers, uh, despite winning the plate in the 2022 World Cup and finishing ahead of three full members, but that, that's not enough for the ICC to give them direct qualification. And uh, here we are back in back in the qualifiers. Yeah, I mean, we've we've seen a lot of these uh, very strange things, you know, little quirks of, of the fact that associates have to qualify and full members basically don't. Uh, Nepal did quite well one year. Uh, Namibia beat South Africa and, and did quite well one year. Um, yeah, the, these these things happen, but um, just seems like the the power structures of um, of status are just too deeply embedded, and, and no one's willing to just get rid of them. It will be interesting to see New Zealand playing their regional qualifier uh, because, of course, they they skipped the last Under 19s World Cup uh, due to uh, COVID issues. Um, so yeah, whether 
that is sort of a test case or whether you know New Zealand uh, smash PNG and then kind of use that as a as a, an argument for not having full members qualify I don't know but um yeah it'll, it'll be interesting to see how this uh you know this qualifier plays out because as we um as we saw last uh, at, in the division 2 level um Hong Kong managed to get past Oman in in a semi-final basically a knockout game and and so Hong Kong will be at this at this Asia qualifier but uh Hong Kong recently played uh, an under 19s series against Oman where they lost 4-0. So yeah, that's kind of an interesting question as to how Hong Kong will go there. But yes, with with the tournament going from the 24th of February to the 2nd of March, uh, that involves the UAE, who are hosting um, Singapore, Nepal, Malaysia, Kuwait, and Hong Kong. And a brutal format with only one team making it through. The winner of the competition uh, will we'll go to the next Under-19s uh, Men's World Cup. So, yeah, could could be some tears and some heartbreak uh, along the way for a number of teams. Uh, Nepal have not made it out of Asia for the last couple of uh, tournaments and uh, yeah they, they have struggled a bit uh, the UAE uh, having taken over kind of the mantle at, at under 19 level of, of being the strongest uh, you know production line of talent uh, you would kind of suspect that they're their favorites to to make it back again but yeah again with so much turnover uh, at the under 19s level you never really know what what the um, you know what each kind of cohort is going to look like and I guess that's an argument in favour of having all the teams qualify because, you know, the teams change so much that it doesn't really make sense to have, um, you know, have full members just automatically getting there when the teams are different every year. Yeah, for sure. You could you could quite easily see a system where everyone qualifies through regional tournaments without really, you know, breaking the bank or, you know, pressing on the schedule because at under-19 level there isn't a whole amount of cricket that's played full stop well that's all we've got time for on the show this week thanks a lot for joining us uh pleasure as always tom uh, thanks for having me on cheers and thanks to our listeners for tuning in uh, remember that you can of course keep up to date with all the latest news and events in the emerging cricket world by following emerging cricket on your favorite social media platforms or logging on to emergingcricket.com that's it for now and we wish you all the best wherever you are around the cricketing world